The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning into Dose of Leadership. I got a great guest today. Scott Miller is on this show. He's Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership with Franklin Covey. He's been with him well over 20 years. I love Franklin Covey. Of course, we talk about the seven habits of highly effective people, which has a new edition coming out in May. If you haven't read that book, you need to read it. It was mandatory reading for me when I was a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps. We had a mandatory reading list, and that was one of the books, one of the first books I ever read on that reading list. And it stands the test of time. So we talk about that, of course. And we talk about his book which I absolutely love and I think should be mandatory reading for all of you if you're on the leadership journey, which you must be if you're listening to this show. His book is called Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. And uh, I love this book, and I know I recommend a lot of books on here, and I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't mean it. it. This one is one that you will go to time and time again. And again, it goes to back to Scott's uh, authenticity, transparency, which he talks about in his book, we talk about in this conversation. And I guess that's one of the biggest things you'll learn we talk about all the time consistently on this show because that is one of the recipes and one of the requirements to being a leader is that authenticity, that transparency, that humble, teachable spirit coupled with that intensity of will. Um, Scott lives that in his life. He talks about it in his book and we talk about it on the show. It's just a fun conversation. You're going to learn a lot a lot of the stuff that you've already heard time and time again on this show, but it's worth repeating. And it's great coming from Scott because of his infectious and uh, enthusiasm. And I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Thanks for being a fan of the show. I do this for free for you. It's a great resource, free resource. There's tons of leadership resources out there. Hopefully this is one of them that you use on a consistent basis to help you become a better leader. That's what it's all about. And one thing that I ask that you could do, a call to action, is if you haven't done so, please subscribe and put this on your smartphone. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite podcast app. There are a ton of them out there. You can listen to the show. It's easy to listen to the show, but if you can do me a favor, take a little effort, take five, ten minutes, subscribe to the show, go write a review for me, please, particularly for an Apple Podcast. It helps so much with the visibility, helps so much with the rankings, the more reviews that I can get. And it's the only thing I ask that you do. Hopefully it's a five-star review. Let me know what you think about the show. Appreciate uh, Whiskey 2's latest review that just came out yesterday. Thank you, Whiskey 2, for that uh, I don't know what your real name is, but that was the call sign used on the review. Thank you for that that outstanding review, and I appreciate your support. And also, if you're looking for a speaker, coach, go to doseofleadership.com. You can look at all my services, particularly my Legacy Leader Blueprint course, where if you're looking to do some effective training, and we can do this online through Zoom. I've been doing it for the past four years with multiple organizations, taking team members, planting the seeds of leadership, sometimes 10 to 15 team members at a time. There's four modules, 20 videos. 
six and a half, sometimes seven and a half hours of coaching for me, one-on-one coaching, and we spread it out over two and a half months. Give you one week to watch or two weeks to watch one module, then I'll meet with you virtually via Zoom, and we'll all facilitate a discussion with your team members about what they learned in the, the module. And we'll repeat that four times. Again, it takes about two months, two and a half months, and it plants the seeds of effective leadership to your team. And it's a great way to do that. Even now with COVID-19, we can do it. We're isolated. We can't come to, the, to work. It's a great way to do this. I do this from my home base here in Kansas, and I've facilitated team members all the way in Perth, Australia. So it's uh, the great thing about technology. And it doesn't break the bank. 500 bucks a seat. Where can you get that kind of training, quality leadership training? So if you're interested Go to doseofleadership.com, reach out to me on the contact form, or email me directly, richard at doseofleadership.com, and let me know if I can help you with your leadership needs. All right, thanks so much for tuning into the show. Let's get on with this conversation, fascinating conversation, fun conversation with Scott Miller, Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership at Franklin Covey, here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Scott, so excited to finally have you on my show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Richard, my pleasure. Thank you for the platform. Well, you know, I, we've been connected on LinkedIn. You know, it's, it's crazy. I, I literally get about 30 to 40 requests a day for people to come on my show. Um, and it's hard for me to filter through them. And, but you were one of the guys I wanted to talk to a long time ago. And I think that's why I connected with you on LinkedIn a few years ago. And I mean, I know you, we're all busy. And, and finally I said, you know, I'm going to reach out to this guy. And we were going back and forth. And finally, one of your uh, PR assistants helped coordinate this together. So I'm finally glad that we're, I don't know, after a couple of years, we're finally together talking about leadership. I love that you said I have several PR assistants. I'm big, man. I'm big out there. (laughs) Well, I love the organization that you – I had uh, uh, Stephen Covey Jr. on my show a long time ago when the show was brand new and we talked about the seven habits way back when and and it was certainly fun having him on and um, to have you on is is great. I love the organization. I love your book, Management Mass. I think it's just, uh, you, you talk about the 30 things you talk about in the book or something we, I talk about on the show and have over the last seven years. I love your idea of authenticity, the humility, getting the intent out there, all of that stuff. How did you get started in, in, um, in leadership? How did it become such a, a hot topic for you? Well, so I started my career at the Disney Development Company. I'm from Central Florida. And so I spent four years at at Disney. They invited me to leave, which is a gracious way of Disney, (laughs) you know, kicking you out. I was 26. The Franklin Covey Company recruited me because they had worked with me on some Disney projects, oddly enough. And I had been to Utah and loved the fact that it was the opposite of Florida. No humidity, four seasons, no neon, no billboards. It was like a paradise for a guy from Orlando. So. Here I am, this young, single Catholic boy moving to Provo, Utah. Do the math, right? There were right. two Catholics, the priest and me. <laughs> a lot of lovely Latter-day Saints. Yeah, right. So that was a fascinating ride early on. But, you know, I, I joined the Franklin Covey Company because I, I, I liked the people who worked there. Mm-hmm. I met the people. They seemed like great people. They are great people. And here I am 25 years later, worked my way up to the organization. I don't think that I should have been a leader of people early on. I think like a lot of people, I was lured into leading people. And I think I did a lot of damage. Yeah. I think I created a lot of havoc. And I think it wasn't until probably my late 40s, I'm now 51, that I really became an effective leader. And still, I have bouts of it, right? So I wrote a book about my own leadership journey, Rocky, a mess. Yeah. You know, I did a lot of great things and did a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. Nothing Ill- illegal or unethical or immoral, sometimes close probably, but um, never crossed the line to 
tremendously, but I wrote the book because I was passionate around really talking about not everyone should be a leader of people, but if you're going to be a leader of people, you're going to follow these, you're going to face these 30 challenges. So get ready. Yeah. I love what you said. We're the same age. And when you kind of went through that quick a synopsis of your journey, I would say the same thing. And and I got into the Marine Corps early on in my early twenties. And, mm. and, and so that was leadership by baptisms, baptism, but I, I'd be got to be quite honest with you. I didn't, I don't think I became a fully effective leader. Like you said, until my late forties, you know, my mid forties and late. And, and then it was because I had a splat moment in my personal life because I think I looked, even though I understood the basics of leadership, the concepts of leadership, in my 30s, because, you know, in the Marine Corps, it was all about leadership. Right. A lot of it was still ego-driven, if I had to be quite honest. And it wasn't – even when I was in the corporate arena, when I worked for 16 years and was very successful in the corporate arena, um, I wasn't the same person, I guess, if, uh, externally. And even though I could talk a good leadership game, I wasn't the same in every aspect of my life, if that makes sense. And I, I did look at leadership – almost separate, meaning leadership on the corporate side and then personal leadership were two separate things. And, that, and it sounds almost even embarrassing to say that it wasn't until my 40s that I realized that, you know, that it's all encompassing, right? The leadership principles in your personal life, everything just all spills over. But I mean, I know I'm not the only guy that's, that went through that journey, but. No, I, I said it just prior to you. I think we yeah. both give each other permission. I think, I think if people are generally self-aware and vulnerable, and look at their own leadership journey. I think most people would agree that they begin to kind of come into themselves. Mine, mine was my late forties. I was a very effective manager yeah. in my thirties, right? Me too. Managing pipelines, closing yeah. deals, hiring and firing, in processes. Yep. But when it came to actually, like you've said, kind of move outside your own ego, understand what your contribution is, how you create culture, how you train, you know, retain and, re- and attract talent. Those are leadership competencies that you learn because you fail and you learn and you and make mistakes and you have coaches and guides. And like you said, have a splat moment, right? In your personal life or yeah. in your professional life. Yeah. Nice to know you, Richard. Nice to know you too. And it's, I think you even opened your book up, A Management Mess, talking about your, you know, your failures early on and, and the humility side of it, right? I mean, it's like- you it's Horrifying. Just, horrifying, right? <laughs> yeah. I share some doozies. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife is convinced I'll never work again. Like, who's going to hire you? You're going to have to be an author and a speaker because, you know, after writing Management Mess, you're never going to get a corporate job again. Good. I don't want a corporate job again, right? I've had one for 25 years. It's been a great ride. I'm done with that. Why do you think um, the seven habits and and, um, why do you think, and particularly with this new edition, I mean, why is it? resonate. I mean, I remember reading that one way long ago yeah. in my early in my career. I mean, why is this new edition one of the biggest, I mean, why is it one of the biggest personal growth and, and leadership books of all time, yeah. do you think? I think, you know, a bit of history. Most people know that our company was co-founded by Stephen R. Covey, the author of The Seven mm-hmm. Habits of Highly Effective People. In its 30th year, sold 40 million copies, 50 plus languages, no book even close to it. I think it's, I think, Several reasons. One is Dr. Covey spent the better part of almost a decade writing this book. This book was heavily researched. She did a hundred year literature review on what made people effective, successful, great leaders. He kind of uncovered this idea of the personality ethic versus the character ethic. He deeply 
was a man of faith. He looked at all the religious texts from all the religions, including his own, and saw all the commonalities. People who read the Seven Habits will tell you, this is no surprise. It's organized very similar to the Ten Commandments. Yeah. The, first, the yeah. first five commandments are about yourself, and the next five about others. And the book is, you know, the first three, practice, three habits are about you, and the next four or three are about others. So there's a lot of um, um, non-religious but sort of spiritual, you know, background to it for generations and thousands of years. So I think he wrote about the principles that govern human behavior. Yeah. You know, he wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. A lot of people call it The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People or Highly Efficient People. No. If I have time, I can share a learning with you. He talks about the difference between being efficient and being effective. I think what Stephen did was acknowledge that he didn't invent anything. He kind of uncovered truths. He named. He sequenced. He modeled. He created a great model for it. And then he told stories. There was a great storyteller. He was very self-effacing. So I think the book has done so well because principles govern whether you want them to or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of like, and I do look at it and I, and, I, and I think you're right. That's why it's been so successful. It's kind of like nobody invented these principles. Nobody invented no. leadership principles. They just exist. It's almost like the law of gravity. They're there for your, you know, discovery and therefore your your grasping you can't you know the marine corps didn't invent them the covey foundation didn't you know didn't invent right. them. nobody invented right. them they just exist and you're Stephen right even named them but one thing he did sorry for interrupting you he named them he does what seth seth godin does right seth godin yeah. the famous author and marketer a good friend of mine seth names things that we all live in but we're not quite sure to how to put context on them dr covey gave a colloquial um, names. He created a language for people to, in different industries, right? Engineers working with HR people or artists working with um, uh, chemists. He gave a common language where people could call things by similar names. That's why it's become such a great organizational training program. Yeah. One of my favorites, and, and when I first read it in my 20s, and it was this was mandatory reading when I first joined the Marine Corps. As an op, we had an officer's reading program, and, and Seven Habits was was on was one of the first books we had to read. And beginning with the end, of my, end in mind, and we spent a ton of time on as officers in the Marine Corps because one of the things, particularly in the Marine Corps, which what's big, is when you look at an organization as a whole, is that the senior leadership they they focus on getting the intent out. They, they, they drum it into you that your main focus and your main job is to communicate maniacally where we're taking this and why we're taking it that way. And so beginning with the end in mind was always driven into us about, hey, you know, what are you trying to accomplish here? And I know when I got into the corporate arena, when things would go to hell in a handbasket and, and I would see people scrambling to rework the plan. And it drove me crazy. I said, don't work the plan, work the objective, right? Work the, that's, that's begin with the end in mind. And, and I think that was, I just wanted to share that with you. That was probably my biggest takeaway from the seven habits that has stayed with me for so long is that when I see things go, and as a pilot, as a professional aviator, we're always thinking about what is, what do we, what's the end in mind? What's the objective? The objective mm-hmm. is to get everybody there safe and sound. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in whatever mini crisis is happening, you always got to go back. What, what are we trying to accomplish here? What are your thoughts? on? I, I said a lot there, but what are your thoughts on what I said? No, I think, I think it's, it's a great example of, 
a leadership competency, right? We, we, we hear a lot about the need for leaders to have big vision and to be think bold direction and disruptive. And I think a lot of times, a lot of, many of us get, I do, I get caught in the details. I get caught in the tactics. I get caught into the urgency addiction of the day to day, right? But when you begin with the end in mind, you're more thoughtful, you're yeah. more deliberate. You're, you're, I love this idea he coined called measure twice, cut once. Mm-hmm. And to be a little more deliberate in your intent and your communication to paint the vision also for where we're headed. Why, why are we doing this? What is the why behind the what? Um, I'm a fairly impulsive person. I, 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 I have a bias to action, which has been a good thing for my career sometimes. Sometimes, you know, I um, ready, fire, aim. You've heard this phrase, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Dr. Covey, and Jim Collins, of course, the author of Good to Great, talks about, you know, firing bullets before cannonballs. It's kind of the same sentence. I mm-hmm. think a lot of the same principles apply to us. I think there's also the flip side is there are some leaders that are so focused on getting it right and so focused on clarity that they don't get off the ground, that they don't, they, they don't, have, a, they don't have a bias to action. I think it's a nice balance, right, of being clear on where you're headed and recognizing as every airline pilot will tell you, they're always off track a little bit. They land on time at the end, but they're always a little bit off mm-hmm. track. And the same with any kind of strategy. You're going to be uh, mindful of making sure that you're clear what the end result should look like. And when you get there, it might be a little bit different and that most of the times is okay. Yeah, it, that's a great analogy. And I've used that many times. To Even in aviation, we have very detailed flight plans, very detailed granular to the point that I know exactly to how many hundreds of pounds that I sh- of gas I should have at each waypoint and even down to seconds, you know, minutes mm-hmm. and seconds. And success isn't measured or defined by each time I hit one of those waypoints, how close I hit those marks. Those marks are there for my planning purposes to see how well I'm doing. They're not there mm-hmm. for me. They're not KPIs for success. Does that make sense? And and of course. and what I see a lot of businesses doing or people doing is they measure their success at how close they get to each one of those. And I'm like, no, the 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 point is, you know, the the plans are essentially useless. I'm using air quotes for useless. The second I deviate off a course to get around a thunderstorm, right? All of that detail goes out the window, but it's not useless. You know what I mean? It's just that I'm not, but I'm not measuring each granular individual waypoint as a success measure. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm measuring yeah. the overall outcome of getting there safe and sound with no bent metal and no broken bodies, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's good standard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you, is your, if going to your book, um, if you look at those 30 things, and I love how you set out to, you can go through every one of those um, 30 ideas or concepts one a day, but what I know it's probably asking which kid is your favorite, but which one really stands out? If you could look at one of those 30, what is there one that really stands out that really is close to your heart? My kids or the, or the challenges? <laughs> no, the challenges. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd say probably challenge three, Richard. That's called listen first. And if I can talk for a couple of minutes about yeah, it, I will. Absolutely. You know, uh, listening is counterintuitive to most leaders. I think we've all, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been hyper-trained in the power of verbal communication, right? Clarifying our mission, 
our vision, our values, our strategies, our structures, our systems. We're all, as leaders, we're often in persuasion mode and influence mode, and we're always selling. We're, we're taught to clarify the goals and repeat it and repeat it. And then when you're just so sick of it, you can't stand it again, repeat it 500 more times <laughs> right. because it's in your head, it's not in their head, right? These are all true statements for the most part. And there's a role that that plays. As leaders, most of us have had formal training, PowerPoint, keynote, speaking from the stage, managing our microphones and our body language and our nonverbals. You get all of that, right? As, as influential leaders, we've been quite well practiced on the power of verbal communication. When I'm speaking at conferences, I say, hey, so raise your hand. Have you ever had a, had a formal education on any listening? No one raises their hand unless you're in HR, not a single person. We've all got speech classes and have coaches and professional coaches that help us with our speaking. And so the point is, is that Listening is a leadership competency because this is how you create culture. It's how you build empathy. It's how you build relationships. This idea that people are an organization's most valuable asset, it's total bunk. People are not a company's most valuable asset. It is the relationships between those yeah. people that are – because Richard can have a, you know, a, a black belt in Six Sigma and Scott can be a Rhodes Scholar from Oxford. But if Richard and Scott can't get along, collaborate, forgive, pre-forgive, compliment, cover for each other, I don't need you. I don't need two gutless wonders that are, you know, outdoing each other. It's how Richard and Scott synergize together. That may sound like professional development talk. It's not. I'm on the executive team. That's what we talk all day long, right, is how to make me make sure that all this salary, all these people – work well together to get stuff done. So listening is a crucial component to building effective relationships. I think part of the problem is we're so ingrained in promoting ourselves, being more interesting than interested, to quote again, Jim Collins again, that we find ourselves in these natural patterns. And then we find ourselves when we do try to listen, it's tough. Because everyone's got an attention deficit. This isn't a disorder anymore. Everyone's got their own level of attention deficit. You know, we're all thinking about our American Express bill or have we checked in for our flight? Don't we wish? What hotel are we <laughs> staying at? Is the tuition paid? Is the power bill due? What's for dinner? Is the dry cleaning picked up? You know, whatever it is, right? Everyone's got a thousand bits coming at them. It is hard. Yeah. Slow down, check in, stay check in, checked in and listen to someone. And then when we do, we typically find that we're asking questions. We're probing, we're evaluating, we're interpreting on our own timeline, on our own agenda, on our own narrative, trying to make, trying to make sense of it based on our own experience. And that comes from a good place. We usually, which is trying to help someone. When you're asking questions, you're just trying to build context to understand how to help solve their problem. Oh, I've dated her. Here's how you deal with that. Or I've shopped there. Here's how you return that. Or I've worked for him. Here's how you deal with that. It comes from a good place. But Richard, as you know, most people don't want us to solve their problem. Yeah. They just want to be heard. Yeah. They just want to be understood. They just want to be validated. And you can validate someone without agreeing with them. I think it's also counterintuitive because listening is really selfless. It requires you to care. Yeah. For sure. Requires you to love. Yep. And a lot of us are interrupters. And most of us interrupt the linguistic science shows because each of us have a, what the linguistics professors will tell you is a silent alarm clock that goes off in our heads. 
when Richard thinks that I should stop talking at 38 seconds, an alarm goes off and he jumps in. I think Richard's partner should stop talking at 48 seconds. I interrupt. Usually because either we're bored, we're wanting to move it along, we want to get to the point. But the science shows that if you can resist the temptation to listen more and interrupt less by just closing your mouth, upper lip to lower lip, and count to 10, try it. That was 10 seconds. Yeah, painful. Very painful. Some of our listeners. Yeah. Painful. Most people are pretty uncomfortable with silence, especially leaders who are so used to filling the void. Yeah. If you can just resist that temptation to interrupt, the odds the other person are going to move it along, end it, or disclose something especially personal that allows you to help them are exponential. This is a tough one, listening. I can't agree with you more. You said so many great things, so many nuggets there that that resonate deeply with me. And you're, you're absolutely right. And I think of the times early on in my leadership career, and I even think of times with my relationship with my wife and where the challenges that we had in our relationship is because I was trying to solve, you know, she'd come to me with something and I was trying to solve the problem. And all I needed to do was just kind of validate and listen. You know what I mean? She wasn't looking for Did you mean for your some... wife or my wife? I, yeah, I think you were right. confused. Yeah, right? Right. My Same thing. My on, on better days, my wife will come home. My wife is a full-time mother and house leader. Mm-hmm. Does not have a career outside the home. She'll go to Orange Theory. You know, the Orange yep. Theory, the, yep. the exercise. She'll come home and she'll want to talk about something that happened with this woman or that person. And I'll jump right in with my leadership expertise. Right? right. She doesn't want me to solve her problem. She wants me just to listen to her yep. or the fundraising group at school does not want me to dissect the entire conversation and say, well, you should have done this. You should have clarified your intent. You should have seek to understand. I'm like, no, shut up. I just want you to validate <laughs> me and my frustration. Yep, for sure. Amen. I wish I would have known that in my 20s and 30s. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and thinking about those times when um, – I have seen it work effectively from a leadership management standpoint. You're right. And if someone's coming to me and just fighting that temptation again, because I got my leadership pants on and I feel like I got to solve problems and I feel like that's what I'm paid to do, but just kind of sit there and acknowledge and listen and, and really listen, like you said, and not have the self-awareness that you're not worried about yourself. And I think a lot of times I think it's that uncomfortableness, like you said, that 10 second silence, you know, you feel like you got to fill that void with something. And to your point, like you said, when I've sit there and I've asked questions and, and asking open-ended questions too, right? How did that make you feel? What, why did you do that? What was this for? And just be quiet. And then they'll either, like you said, stop it, move it along or reveal something that is probably pretty important. That's so true, but it it requires humility. Yeah, right? a ton it requires, of humility. Yeah, yeah, it requires you to to check your ego, not make everything about you. It's this is a you know, especially I think for leaders that are increasingly used to it being about them, yeah. and them dominating the conversation, and them being the smartest person in the room, and them always being the genius. When I say them, I mean us. It takes a level of love, yep, patience, and care. It requires you to behave differently. Says easy, does hard, right? Common knowledge isn't common practice. Easy to understand, difficult to put into play, and it's because it's yeah. it is it's a people business. It is, and and you know, and I do have my I 
some days I have an I hate people t-shirt on there. I don't want to deal with people. And, and you've got to fight that temptation. You got to realize why you're doing this. You got to have a genuine concern and empathy for, for your fellow man. You really do. And I don't, I think we talk about, I have had a lot of pushback in the corporate arena. And I talk about empathy and love a lot, a lot on this show. And it's a huge part of my practice and what I coach and teach I've had some tremendous pushback from certain organizations when I bring love up in that in the in that arena and when I talk about it. And I, in fact, I've even had an organization recoil. And it was a government agency, and they recoiled when I brought up the topic of love. They said there's no place for love in an organization. And I'm like, Are you, you know, and I'm, I'm not talking about eros love that makes HR executives nervous. I'm talking about the Agape style, the action where love is a verb, right? Where you you have to sacrifice so others may prosper, and 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 uh, that's where I'm coming from. And I think you probably could not agree more with you. Yeah, people do not quit their jobs, right? They quit bad bosses and corrupt cultures, and that may be an HR cliche, but it's very true, and it's been my experience. Richard, people ask me all the time, Scott, why have you been at Franklin Covey for 25 years? You're a dinosaur. No one does that. <laughs> Unless you're in the military, no offense, mm-hmm. all respect, or in the postal service, right? And I say, listen, I've had plenty of opportunities. I had two, two opportunities today. It's 2.30 to leave the firm. Two people reaching out to me, wanting to give me equity, wanting to recruit me. Why do I stay? My boss loves me. <laughs> right. CEO Bob Whitman, he loves me. He loves my family. He loves my wife. He loves my kids. He loves he loves my future. He cares about me. We argue like father and son, right? At the end of the day, I report to him. We're very different people. We have very little in common. We see a lot of things similarly, some things very differently. But I don't leave because he loves me. It's to your point. It's not love in a romantic way or in an inappropriate HR way. Is People don't quit leaders who love them. People don't crawl, go across the street for one more dollar an hour or one more percent commission or a free soda machine if they know that their boss genuinely cares about them, including giving them high courage feedback, discussing the discussables, coaching them about their blind spots. This isn't all just about praise and adoration. When you love someone, you are willing to risk not being liked. Absolutely. And say, yeah. can I, sh- I share something that I see in you that is causing you and others pain. That's love. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think when you when you do come from a place of love, you can have those difficult conversations. Like I've said this many times, you know, my wife won't let me go out the door if my fly is down or I got bad breath. It may be uncomfortable right. to tell me, but she's telling me because she loves me and she doesn't want me to be embarrassed. Yep. And so that's why yep. you can have the difficult conversations because you love this person, right? Yeah, yeah. well said. You married well. Yeah, uh, yeah, I married way above my pay grade, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, so I don't know what's next for you. I mean, we've got The Seven Habits coming out. Your book is phenomenal. It should be mandatory reading for all my Dose of Leadership listeners, so you need to go out and find management. I love that book. Thanks. I really do love it. Thank you. I I wrote that book because I wanted it to be relatable and real and raw. I think there is an overabundance of aspirational leadership books written from professors yeah, and academics. Hundred percent. And, and I don't, I don't, I don't blame them. I just don't know that they've hired and fired. I don't know that they've had you know brutally tough conversations around you need to wear in a perspirant or you're never taking responsibility for your actions. A lot of CEOs write books. I can't relate to Bob Iger. I loved Bob Iger's book. 
right, from Disney, but it hasn't changed my day-to-day -day operational style because I don't have his job. So the book did extremely well. I've rewritten it. It's been re-released now with new insights and some better stories and more stories. Um, I've written a few more books. I co-authored a book called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. Uh, I've, I'm writing a new book called Master Mentors. Like you, I'm privileged to host a, a broad global podcast yep. where I interview celebrities and authors each week, and that book's coming out next year. I will write more books in the mess to success arena. I'll write um, man, marketing mess to brand success, job mess to career success, communication mess, parenting mess. I've got about nine that will come out over the next decade or so. So in the meantime, I'm loving working with Franklin Covey, uh, excited about the books we have in the pipeline and the firm. If anybody's looking for a leadership development partner, could not speak more highly of the competence and character inside of this firm. It's why I stay. Well, I, I think you hit on a couple of great points, and I know that's why I loved your book, because it does come a place of, of pragmatic authenticity that, that I think is lacking in a lot of leadership books. You're right. I mean, you go to any leadership section, and I get, like you said, 30 to 40 requests for people to come on the show a day, and there's nothing against. I want to help everybody because I love this topic of leadership, And but you know, there's something about again, pragmatic authenticity that I think is, is, is inherent in your style. So I'm very appreciative Thank you. of that. Yeah. Thanks. I don't know that I could have written this book in my thirties. I'm not sure I could have written this book in my early forties. I think it took me, it took me a decade to really understand, should I have been a leader of people? I'm not sure I should. I think in some cases I've been extraordinary. In other cases, I've probably damaged some people because I was so insecure and so focused on myself and my own brand and moving up. Yeah. And I hope the book is relatable to others. Um, I shamed me, so you don't have to feel shamed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's, you said something early on. You know, is everybody not everybody should be a leader of people, but I and I agree with that sentiment. However, I think if somebody has the passion and desire and the willingness to be a leader, do you think um, do you think they're capable? I guess is that point. When you say some, no people, question. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. People ask me, you know, are you born a leader? No, you're born a human. No one is born a leader. It's an idiotic question, right? Yeah. You are absolutely capable of building leadership skills, but let me tell you. It's not worth it for everyone. Like yeah. I will never become an anesthesiologist. I don't care what it pays. I don't have the aptitude. I don't want to pay the price. I'm not going to become a commercial airline pilot. Again, I don't have the aptitude. I don't understand thrust and drag and weight and lift or whatever the four are. Sorry, I, ma I massacred them. That's your world, not mine. Not everyone should be a leader of people. Because I think too often we promote the individual producer. They get into leadership and they realize, oh, crap, I hate this. Yeah. And then they and then they and then they move out of it, and now the organization has lost their top producer and their leadership pipeline. So yes, can anyone learn to be a leader? I think probably, but I'm not sure it's worth the ride. I think there's a lot of very highly valued individual contributors whose avocation is not their vocation. Yeah, they just want to come to work from eight to six, give it their all, create stuff build stuff, contribute, and they don't want to lead people. I think that's just fine. Yeah, I agree. And it is the age-old problem, right? It's like just this, the skills and the aptitude that makes you the best salesman on the on the force. And then what you see the organization do is like, oh, well, let's make Sally Sue the salesperson 
the leader all the time leader of the sales force you know and they realize the skill set to be the best salesperson is completely different than being this the leader of the salespeople right thank you richard in fact no correlation right my two biggest strengths on strengths finder are competition and significance these are actually pretty good strengths to have as a salesperson right i want to win i want to compete I want to be on the top of the scoreboard. I like the limelight. Those are not bad skills to have as a commissioned base salesperson. Those are horrific skills to have as a sales leader. Right. To be in competition for attention, especially for people who are player coaches. And yeah. a lot of organizations, the sales leader also has their own nut, their own, that's their right. own goal. That's right. And that's a horrible misalignment, right? I don't think enough organizations understand the process of developing leaders. If you are in a if you are in an organizational role, in any role at all, and one of your jobs is to identify future leaders, sit them down. Here's how it goes. Hey, Richard, thanks for being the top salesperson seven quarters in a row. We're thinking about promoting you to be a sales leader. Let me tell you, Richard. Here's a T chart. On this side over here, here are eight things you do well. That Richard, you do them so well, it's why you're the top salesperson. Richard, if you were to become a sales leader, you will need to stop doing five of these tomorrow (laughs) because these competencies will not serve you well. And by the way, Richard, on this side of the T-chart, here's nine competencies that, quite frankly, you don't possess yet. We think you can, but you're going to have to learn these nine new behaviors pretty quickly. Not overnight, but like in the coming days and weeks and months. So if you want to leave these things behind and pick these things up. Let's keep talking. But if quite frankly, if you're comfortable running with these strengths and just that's great too. By the way, here's what it looks like from eight to eight, 8 a.m. Actually, we both know it's more like 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., right? Here's what it looks like having these high courage conversations and real-time coaching and solving problems. And I mean, it's leadership sucks. Yeah, it's tough. It really does. And leadership it, is not day trading. No. Leadership is buying a home and sitting on it for 20 years and selling it for some profit. Right. It's a long game. It's grimy. It's gritty. It's dirty. It's thankless. Well and you can't That's even it. you can't even see the benefits. And sometimes the reality is you may not even realize your legacy impact until well after you're gone. That's oh, my gosh. It's so true. I feel like you're my twin from another mother. <laughs> I'll be in an airport all the time and someone will someone will stop me. Usually someone I terminated and they'll say to me. Scott, then they'll, then, they'll, then they'll recall and say, you know what? You were a real jerk sometimes. And then they'll say, but you know what, Scott? You were the one leader in my whole life that had the courage to talk to me about my blind spots. Thank you for that because that has really helped me transform my career 10, 12, 15 yep. years later. It's yep. a long game. You're absolutely right. Very long game. Yeah, no, man. I knew this. I knew you would be a good guy to talk to. I, I just from reading your stuff and again being connected with you on social media. Thank you. Uh, we share a lot of the same stuff. I, I do kind of feel like you're a brother from another mother. So I don't know. So is that the right way? I appreciate way? it. Is that, is that the yeah, way? Yeah, that's brother great. From that's mother? great. Yeah. Brother from another mother. There you yeah. go. Man, it's been fun. I, how can people connect with you? Learn more about you? I have links to all your books, all your stuff you're coming out. But yeah. how, how do you want people? My wife to find says you? it's not hard to find me. And that's not a compliment. So you can, I'm, I'm kind of all over the web. You can follow me on LinkedIn. I'd be honored to have you connect on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram. You can visit franklincovey.com. Subscribe to our podcast on leadership. Managementmess.com is a website for the book. I think if you Google Scott Miller, Franklin Covey, 
the odds are pretty high I'll come up. Yeah, I'll have links to all this on the post and the show notes. And again, subscribe to his podcast, get his books. He's one of the good ones, folks. And I'm proud to have him in the Dose of Leadership tribe. So thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Such an honor. Thank you, Richard. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.